The darkness would not remain forever. A new light was on the horizon. See, even those of you who didn't grow up going to church, those of you who basically had to be bribed to watch this right now, and by the way, we know you are out there just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm ignorant of the fact that there are basically a whole bunch of you who are watching right now out of sheer guilt. Basically, somebody makes you go to church every Christmas. It doesn't hurt my feelings even a little. But, but even those of you who, who wouldn't identify as a Christian, who wouldn't normally show up to church, uh, you're not sitting there right now in eager anticipation for what's going to come next, right? I, I guarantee if I was sitting with you in your living room, in your kitchen, wherever you're watching right now, I, I doubt any of you are like on the edge of your seat right now and this look on your face that would communicate, well, well tell us, like, well, what, what is this new light? You're, you're at least familiar enough with the Christmas story to know that that new light being referenced here is, is a baby boy that we celebrate on Christmas named Jesus. But, but see, what we take for granted, Christian or not, what, what we just fill in the blank for around Christmas time was not always the case. He, he, here's what I mean by that. All, all throughout the Old Testament, the, the first half of this book that we would call the Bible Throughout the Jewish Bible, and some of you, perhaps you don't know this, the Jewish Bible and the Old Testament, they are literally one in the same. But throughout the Old Testament, there are all these allusions to this new light, a Messiah, a Redeemer. So see, if we were to rewind human history by a couple thousand years and we were to show them that video that you all just watched, well, that would have just kind of blown minds in and of itself because they didn't have videos back then, but just kind of throw that to the side. If they were to consume the content that you just consumed, every single person listening, every single person watching would have been dying, dying to hear what comes next. All throughout the, the Old Testament, there, there are these passages of, of Scripture like this that we're going to find here in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was literally written about 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus stepped onto the earth. And here in the ninth chapter, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, that the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. For those of you that don't buy into this idea that Jesus was actually the son of God, you at least know what this is referencing. You know that this is referencing Jesus. But again, keep, keep in mind, this was written about 700 years before Jesus ever stepped foot on the earth. You, you know what the ancient Israelites, the, the Jewish people were thinking when, when they read this prophecy? They were thinking, who? When? Who is this talking about? Whoa, 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 time out, Isaiah, when is this going to happen? They, they had no idea who this is alluding to. They had no idea when this was actually going to take place. They're unlike all of us who are watching right now, sitting on the edge of their seats when they read a prophecy like this, going, someone please be more specific. Who is this talking about? Please tell us, when is this actually going to happen? We find yet another example of this a little bit earlier 
in the book of Isaiah, in the seventh chapter specifically, the, the writer says, I'll write them. The Lord himself will give you the sign. It's like, time out. Don't worry, the Lord himself is gonna give you the sign. To which again, about every person reading this around 700 BC, and again, that's worth pointing out, this is written literally hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped foot onto the earth. For those of you who are skeptical of Christianity, you ought to pay attention to details like this. But, but every single person reading this thousands of years ago would have been thinking, yes, yes, finally we have something more concrete to point to. I mean, a sign, that, that's incredible. This sounds amazing. No, no more vague illusions. God is about to get really, really specific with all of us. They, they, they would have all had their notepads out, ready to write this stuff down. They, they, they could not wait for what was going to come next. The, the Lord will give you the sign, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. <laughs> to which, again, every one of us listening right now, we, we nod our heads and we think, oh, that's so good. That, that, that's so obvious what? That's so obvious who the prophet Isaiah was talking about. But Mary, she's going to give birth to the son of God. She's going to give birth to Jesus. And that's really amazing, right? I mean, this is so specific. It happened exactly as predicted about 700 years after these words were penned. But guess what? Not, not obvious, <laughs> not even a little helpful at all to that original audience. They would have all been thinking, what? What in the world is that supposed to mean? A, a virgin? Who? When? Isaiah, who is this talking about? When is this going to take place? When is this going to happen? See, the only reason that these predictions, prophecies as they're traditionally referred to, and Jesus literally fulfilled hundreds of them, it's, it's a statistical anomaly unlike anything the world has ever seen or will ever see. But, but, but the only reason that these predictions are so obvious to all of us is... <laughs> We have the benefit of hindsight. We, you, me, Christian, not a Christian, we know what comes next. We know the light referenced at the end of that video is an allusion to Jesus. We know who the child is that Isaiah is referencing. We actually know who the virgin and the child are. Even those of you who didn't grow up going to church, you're new to all this. You're at least familiar enough with it to fill in the blank, to, to know how the story ends. But, but what we all just assume and are at least familiar with was not always the case. For, for thousands of years, the Israelites, the ancient Jewish people, they, they eagerly anticipated and looked forward to what we just take for granted and assume. The, the ancient Israelites would be looking at all of us right now going, do you realize how lucky you are to know exactly how this story ends? To know what comes next? To, to have always had the benefit of hindsight? To, to, to be able to look at all of these prophecies and know exactly who they're referencing, when they are going to take place? And, and the reason that this was such a big deal almost an obsessive deal to the ancient Israelites. And, and the reason that I think it ought to be a big deal to you is the Israelites were fully aware of something that 
that most of us, if we're honest, we're pretty uncomfortable admitting. It's something that our culture does a pretty good job of suppressing. We, you, I, we, we all have a sin problem. Now, nobody really wants to admit that, but, but the Israelites, they would actually take this a step further. See, see, they would add, we have a sin problem and no ability, no ability to solve it on our own. The, the, the Israelites had come to grips with what all of us deep down actually know to be true, that try and try and try and try as hard as you might, you cannot stop screwing up. You, you can't stop sinning. Now, 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 sin, I totally get this. S- sin is one of those words that just sounds so like, ugh, it sounds so heavy. And, and it's not exactly a word that we use in everyday conversation, like everyday dialogue. You, you would never say to your spouse, hey, when, when you did that to me, that was hurtful. You, you have sinned against me. They'd be like, what? If a coworker talks bad about you behind your back, you don't approach that coworker and say, hey, why did you sin against me again? They would look at you and think that was so strange. So, so we, frankly, we use softer words like mistake. But, but sin, in its simplest of terms, it, it means to miss the mark. It's anything that damages you, the, the relationships with the people around you, anything that damages your relationship with God. So, so, so it is, is it uncomfortable to admit that you're a sinner? You bet. But, but is it undeniable that we all are? Well, I, I won't throw you under the bus. How about just me and the other Christians? It, it's a resounding Yes. Every single one of us, we do things, we say things on a regular basis where almost immediately afterwards, we're looking ourselves in the mirror going, what in the heck is wrong with me? Why did I do that? Why did I say that again? And to make it even worse for the Israelites, as if admitting you're a sinner isn't already bad enough, They were constantly reminded of their sin problem through an ancient sacrificial system. See, when you sinned, you sacrificed. You sacrificed a calf, a dove, a lamb, an animal. It was this bloody, poignant reminder of your shortcomings. This constant reminder that try and try and try as hard as you might, you can't stop sinning. You cannot stop screwing up. And these people, fully aware of this sin problem that they had no ability to solve themselves, were eagerly awaiting, waiting, if God would send a final, if God was going to send a once and for all solution to their sin problem. They, They knew that darkness had taken over. They knew they were sinners, just like you, just like me. And so they were eagerly awaiting, they were eagerly anticipating the solution, the light. I I mean, how incredible is that? (laughs) When I think about it, it absolutely boggles my mind. The, the, The same God who said, let there be light to create this world, became the light to this world. I, I, I try, honestly, and point this out basically whenever I can. Y'all, he didn't have to do this. We are the ones who sinned. We are the ones who screwed up the relationship. We are the ones who rebelled, who fractured our relationship with the living God. See, God could have just as easily chosen to hang an out-of-order sign on the earth and walked away, 
allowing us to slowly destroy ourselves through our sin. But instead, and please don't miss this, especially if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, instead he chose, he chose to get involved. He he chose to become the light because he loves you, you watching right now so much because he so desperately wants a relationship with you. And he wants to give you that opportunity to solve that sin problem. You have no ability to solve yourself. Think about how deep his love for you must be. That the God of the universe, our creator, the same God who created light that can travel around the earth seven times in one second, the same God who created the sun to keep us warm, that, that, that every second produces enough energy equivalent to one billion nuclear bombs, that the same God who created galaxies, which admittedly, like, it just kind of hurts my brain to even think about those things, that the same God that created all of that with four simple words, let there be light, that God who possesses that type of power cares enough about you, you watching right now personally, that he sent himself down to earth And he took on the limitations of a mere mortal just so you and I might have that opportunity to be made right with him, to heal that relationship. This is a bit of a random thought, but around Christmas season, hopefully you can relate. Have any of you ever been frustrated by Amazon's customer service? Like you get something, it's just not working, and and you have to engage with their customer service. I mean, you can't find a phone number you got to fill out a form. you got to send an email. It's shoddy communication. You go days without a reply. You're pretty convinced that you just like sent an email out into darkness. You're never going to get it back. Let's say this Christmas season, you get a defective item. You buy for your kid uh, a hoverboard, but it shows up with a, with a wheel completely missing. And so you sit down at your computer, you jump on your phone, and you send that dreaded email to customer service, and you're just hoping, just, just praying for a reply, maybe within a week, as your child is like sitting next to you having a mental breakdown because that new Christmas present just isn't going to work. But yet, after sending that email, not terribly hopeful, just hours later, hours later, this guy shows up on your doorstep. And, and not only is he holding a replacement, he's, he's holding a brand new hoverboard that works fine, but, but he also reaches into his pocket he pulls out a wad of cash and he says, hey, we're also going to take care of this. You're not going to pay a nickel for this for all of your trouble. I mean, Jeff Bezos, the richest man on the planet, the owner of Amazon, is standing on your porch solving your customer service issue. And he reaches out his hand, shakes your hand, wishes you a Merry Christmas, and he's off to the next house. That would blow anyone's mind, right? And if that would seem astounding to you, let us again turn our attention back to the God of the universe, the God who spoke the stars, light, the sun, our world into existence with four simple words. And then when we rebelled, when we sinned against him, he squarely turned his attention toward us rather than away from us. He created a solution away back to him, knowing full and well that most people would still choose to reject him. That the humility and the love that God showed us when, when he sent himself down to this earth to solve our sin problem that we created, it can't be comprehended. In, in, in the book of John, 
which is one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, John was one of those guys that spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus during his earthly ministry. He, he shares one of his observations regarding Jesus in the first chapter. He says he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God children of light. See, the reason that we get like really amped up, (laughs) really excited around here for Christmas, even in a year like 2020 that has had no shortage of problems and trials, I mean, let's just call it as it is, it has been a hot mess, is because the battle is already won. There is light. Not there was light, Not we're hoping there's going to be light. No, there is light. And with this light, with Jesus comes hope. There is hope. Darkness has already been defeated. The darkness, your sin problem, has already been defeated. Jesus has already taken care of it. Let's just put it this way. Let's say tomorrow you get a phone call. And you don't recognize the number. And What do you do in that situation? I'll tell you what I do. I look at it and I ignore it. And then I wait for that inevitable voicemail. And then I kind of hesitantly listen to the voicemail. And let's say on that voicemail that you get tomorrow, somebody tries to explain to you, and they're they're speaking very clearly, and they're trying to tell you that that you have this long-lost aunt. You've never met her, but unbeknownst to you, she she has left you an inheritance of $10 million. What, What do you do? Well, you do what I would do, I think, right? You just delete the message because you assume that this is just a load. Well, the next day, same number calls, same kind of spiel on a voicemail, and you're like, they're really persistent, but you delete the voicemail again. The third day, they call again, but this time you're kind of curious. You're like, if nothing else, this telemarketer is persistent, and you pick up the phone hesitantly, you say hello, and the person immediately says, don't hang up, don't hang up, don't hang up. We know that this sounds ridiculous, but we're telling you this is the truth. And they go on to share things about you and know things about you, your social security number, they they know where you live, they know about your kids, they know about your family, and you're just like, okay, this is a lot more information than the average telemarketer seems to typically know about people. And they say, what we're going to do right now is we're going to send over an electronic document, you just need to sign it, and then send it back to us, just email it back to us, and upon such, we are going to deposit 10% of that inheritance into your bank account so that you know that this is real. And so you're like, okay, I guess it can't really hurt to sign a document. It comes through in your email just like they say. You sign it, and just like that, the minute you hit send back, you wait five minutes, and like that, you look at your bank account, and there is $1 million sitting in there. Now you know they're serious. You call the person back, and you say, I'm kind of having a hard time wrapping my head. They're like, we know that it would be, but we're going to meet you at this bank at this date, and we're going to give you the other $9 million. And so on that day of that scheduled appointment, you get your rear end of the car, you drive to the bank, and when you're a block away from the bank, your car, boom, a big old thud, it starts smoking. You can see the bank. I mean, it's like right down the road, but now you're having car trouble. What do you do in that situation? Do you in that moment kick the tire You go, God, oh my goodness, where are you? How could you let such a terrible thing happen to me? No. You chuck the keys to the side and you go skipping your way right over to the bank because you're about to get $10 million. You could care less about your vehicle. Y'all, this is the hope that we have in Jesus. 
That this is why even in a year where all chaos is going on around us, that in a year where it's like, oh my goodness, like what is going on? We do not attach our hope to circumstances. We attach our hope to Christ. The darkness has been defeated. Jesus is the light that we have in the dark, in this dark world that we find ourselves in. He's already done the heavy lifting when he gave himself to us so that we have that opportunity to get that right standing back with him, to mend that relationship that we screwed up. Now it's on us whether we reject him or as John puts it, believe and accept him. There is light. There is hope for you. There's no darkness in your life, in your past, that is too thick, that's too strong for God to penetrate. The battle has already been won. Darkness, your sin, has already been defeated. And and listen, I get it. It's almost impossible to comprehend that the God of the universe would look down into our broken world and choose to get involved. And then on top of that, that he would make the standard so simple that the way that you would be declared righteous, the way that you would be declared approved, the way that you would get that right standing back with God, it has nothing to do with your past, has nothing to do with what you've done. It comes down to faith, belief. Do you watching right now, do you believe that the God of the universe looked down into our world and chose to get involved? And he sent himself as a baby boy and then lived the life that you were supposed to live. And at the end of that perfect life, took the weight of your sin and my sin on his shoulders, and along with it, the wrath of God. But three days later, did not stay dead, and rose from the grave. And we're told that by putting our faith, by putting our belief in Jesus, that just like that, we get that right standing back. And so right now, I just wanna give every one of you that opportunity to, to bow your heads wherever you're at, And let me make this very, very clear. It is not a prayer that gets us that right standing back. It is not a prayer that secures our eternity. It is your faith. It is your belief in Christ. But it could be as simple as literally just saying right now, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I have no ability to solve my sin problem on my own. I believe that you sent your son into this world for me. So forgive me of my sins, God. And from this day forward, I will choose to live for you. Amen. And we're told that just like that, we're back. If you put your faith in Jesus for the very first time today, will you do me a favor? Will you just text your name to 810-510-0298? And this isn't because we want to badger you, because we want to pester you, but y'all, this is what the local church is all about. Walking alongside you, putting you in a community with other people who have also put their faith in Jesus so you can take that next step and that next step and that next step and you can continue to build that relationship with him. So I'm asking you to take that bold step right now and text your name to 810-510-0298 so we can walk alongside you. To all, to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God, children of light. When God humbled himself and gave us his son, gave us Jesus, light had arrived and hope with it. Darkness has been defeated. How good is that? We know for certain what people for thousands of years simply hoped for, longed for. 
that the creator of the universe has invited you to become a child of God, a child of light, and he will never stop pursuing you. He loves you so much.